Last time we talked about the death of Jesus on the cross, his substitutionary atonement, and so it seems fitting that the next topic should be his resurrection. And uh, indeed it is. I will remind you our statement of faith, uh, read through the first paragraph. We've really already covered all of that over the last several weeks, and we'll be starting the second half uh, of it today. So it says, We believe that Jesus the Christ is God the Son, that he has eternally existed without any beginning. Jesus was sent by the Father to redeem people from their sin and rule them righteously. Jesus became human through the virgin birth while simultaneously keeping all his divine essence. Jesus is the perfect, sinless God-man who voluntarily died on a cross as a sacrificial lamb of God to pay the debt of sin for all who repent and believe on him. And then today we're starting uh, the next section, which says, Three days after his death, Jesus rose bodily from the dead, and he is now at the right hand of God the Father, the head of the church. Jesus eternally lives as a savior, prophet, priest, and king of all the redeemed. In uh, that section, we're going to cover next week. So the resurrection is kind of split in two there. You have the first part there that just says three days after his death, he rose bodily. And then uh, the second part, his victory over death and his bodily resurrection assure victory and a future resurrection for all in him. And then the last part there is about his return, which we'll cover in a couple of weeks. Uh, so probably only two more weeks on Jesus, and then we'll move on to the Holy Spirit. Uh, but for today, as far as we're going to get there is uh, talking about the resurrection. Uh, one quick note on the timing of the resurrection. Uh, Jesus rose the third day. He was not in the grave for three days. Um, if he was buried for three days, then he would have risen the fourth day. And so he dies Friday. That's why we call it Good Friday. He was in the grave part of Friday, all of Saturday, rose uh, Sunday. So, uh, sorry if that ruins all those worship songs to talk about Jesus being in the grave for three days. Technically, that's not true. He was in the grave for part of three days, uh, but not a full three days. And so, with that being said, I'm nitpicking here, but I would like to reword that first sentence a bit uh, to say something like the third day after his death, because technically it was not three full days after his death. Not super important, but it's one of those little details that bugs me. Uh, so maybe we'll tweak that. Uh, on the subject of the resurrection, uh, notice the word bodily in our statement of faith. Jesus came back to physical life. He was really dead, and he came back to life. He didn't rise spiritually. Uh, he rose physically. He was flesh and blood after the resurrection. Uh, Luke 24, verse 36. This is post-resurrection. Uh, the disciples are gathered. They're wondering what in the world just happened. Jesus just died. And 36 says they were talking about these things. Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. And they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. He said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet, and while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Have you ever wondered, why is that in the Bible, uh, that Jesus ate a fish after his resurrection? The point is to show you that he was physically brought back to life. Uh, he wasn't just a spirit kind of hovering around. He had a body, he had flesh and blood, he had to eat after the resurrection. And so Jesus came back to physical life. 
Um, now, let's talk about the significance of the resurrection. I think if you ask most people, most Christians at least, I hope, uh, why did Jesus die on the cross? What's the significance of that? I think most people would do a pretty decent job answering that and say something like he died for our sins, he died for us to be forgiven, he took our penalty, something along those lines. Um, but I think if you ask many Christians, why did Jesus rise again? Why does that matter? Uh, you might get a lot of stummering and stammering. Uh, why, why does it matter that Jesus rose again? Uh, and I'll ask you guys, that will put you all on the spot. What, how would you answer that question? What's the significance of the resurrection uh, beyond it just being a cool trick and, oh, Jesus is alive again? Why does it matter for us that Jesus rose again? How would you answer that? Malachi. I'm sorry? Shows victory over death. Great. That's one of my reasons. Go ahead, Malachi. Okay. Okay. Right. So because Jesus rose, we have confidence that we can rise as well. Okay, good. Those are two of the reasons I had. I have one more. Let's see if you can get it. Catherine, are you thinking or no? Okay. A third third reason that Jesus rose from the what does the resurrection accomplish? Any anybody want to take another stab? I think you got the two kind of biggest, most important reasons there. Um proof to other people during that time of what specifically? There it is. Look at that. You guys got all three of my reasons. Yes, Jesus being God. Uh, all of Jesus' claims as a prophet are validated by his resurrection. You know, many times in the Gospels, we've seen it already in Luke a couple of times, um, where Jesus says to his disciples prior to his death, you know, a, a year prior or something, says, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to be killed, and I'm going to rise again the third day. And the disciples, you know, they just, it never clicks for whatever reason. Uh, but he continually prophesied in detail that that was going to happen, and then it all took place, just like he said. And so the resurrection uh, validates Jesus' claims about himself. So uh, let's begin with 1 Timothy 3.16. The resurrection proves that Jesus was who he said he was. 1 Timothy 3.16, Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. And so Jesus was vindicated uh, by his resurrection from the dead. It was the, the resurrection that validated all of Jesus' statements about himself, most significantly, of course, being his deity. Uh, a normal human dies and never have they come back. I guess you can count revives in, in hospital beds or something. But nobody's been dead for three days, buried, and come back to life. Uh, nobody's been died in the way that Jesus did, uh, you know, where, where they stick the spear in the water and blood comes out. Like, he was clearly completely dead. This wasn't just a heart stop for a few minute situation. Uh, and yet he came back to physical life, and this proves uh, his deity. I guess there would be another uh, example of someone similar, and that would be Lazarus, right? But Lazarus was raised by Jesus' resurrection power, and so it's, it's still all proving the deity of Jesus. Uh, secondly, it proves, the resurrection proves that the sacrifice of Christ on the cross was accepted. Uh, Paul writes, speaking of Abraham in Romans 4, this is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Uh, but the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. 
It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Okay, so delivered up is speaking of what? Jesus being delivered up for our trespasses? Right, so that's speaking of his death. Right, as Moses lifted up the serpent of the wilderness, even so the Son of Man will be lifted up. It's talking about being lifted up on the cross. Him being delivered up, uh, handed over for execution. So he was, he was killed for our trespasses. That's our sins. He, he bore the, the penalty we deserve. But then it says, he was raised for our justification. Okay, what, what does justification mean? Uh, that's a nice uh, 10 cent theological word, justification. What does it mean? Just as if I'd never sinned. Uh, a, somebody was raised Baptist here. Uh, <laughs> yes. Justification. Let's get a, a technical definition. What does it mean to be justified? Declared righteous. Okay, so justification is when uh, when God says you are... I mean, think of, think of even the way we use the word today. If, we, if we're trying to justify our actions, right, that means we're trying to claim that our actions are right. Right? So we did something obviously wrong, but we're trying to justify ourselves. We're trying to uh, make it seem like what we did was okay. Um, and so to justify is to declare something is right, is righteous. Okay, God <clears throat> has justified us through the resurrection of Christ. So, in other words, the resurrection was God's declaration of approval that the sacrificial work of Jesus on the cross... Uh, in other words, I'm sorry, I, I said that wrong. The, the resurrection it shows us God approved of Jesus' sacrifice, uh, that the sacrifice of Christ on the cross was accepted as the, the payment for our sins. I uh, think of, you know, Elijah on Mount Carmel. Um, when, when the prophets of Baal are there and Elijah's there and they're trying to offer a sacrifice, you know, that scene in, in uh, Second Kings. And, uh, and Elijah, you know, they, they pour like 12 buckets of water on the sacrifice. And then what happens? Fire falls from heaven and consumes it all, right? And that's, that's, that's Elijah showing them uh, this is the true God because of what he just did. And so the sacrifice of Elijah was, was proven to be accepted because of the fire falling from heaven. In a similar way, the resurrection of Christ is God's statement that he has accepted the sacrifice of Christ, that his death on the cross for our sins uh, was accepted by God. The debt has been paid, and the resurrection is the proof of that. Uh, next, the resurrection proves that death was defeated, and we too will rise. Notice in our statement of faith it says, His victory over death and His bodily resurrection assure victory and a future resurrection for all in Him. Okay, so the resurrection of Christ uh, gives us the confidence and hope that we too will rise. If you have a Bible, uh, I think we'll have time to get here. 1 Corinthians 5. This is not on the screen. Uh, the pew Bible in front of you. I should have written the page number down, but I didn't. Uh, but you can find it. 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to look at a few. I'll look at a few other uh, references while you're turning there. We're going to read quite a bit from there. But Second Corinthians four thirteen says, "Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into His presence." And so the same power that raised Christ from the dead. Uh, is the grounds for our hope that we too will be raised again. 1 Corinthians 15 is where you're turning. I see a few of you looking up at me. Uh, C.S. Lewis said, The New Testament writers 
speak as if Christ's achievement in rising from the dead was the first event of its kind in the whole history of the universe. He is the first fruits, the pioneer of life. He has forced open a door that has been locked since the death of the first man. He has met, fought, and beaten the king of death. Everything is different because he has done so. This is the beginning of the new creation. A new chapter in cosmic history has been opened. And so the fact that Jesus came back to life after having passed through death, it opens the door for all of us who come after him to be resurrected and to experience life after death. Ephesians 1 verse 17 that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, uh, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Uh, so the, the, the power of God uh, that raised Christ from the dead is the same power that raises us uh, from spiritual death. Uh, he, he seated him at his right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, above, above every name that is named not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he has put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. And so the argument there that Paul is making, if Jesus, if God has the power to raise Jesus back from the dead and seat him at his right hand uh, while he puts everything under his feet, then, then that powerful God can surely raise me as well. And that's, that's why the resurrecting uh, power of God in Christ is our hope of a future resurrection as well. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to read through um, most of this chapter, we'll skip a few sections, but for the most part, we're going to read through 1 Corinthians 15, which is all about the resurrection. This is the quintessential passage on the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, starting in verse 1, Paul says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received that Christ died for our sins in, according with, uh, in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Notice, uh, Paul is saying there, the resurrection is included in what we call the gospel, the good news. It's not just that Jesus died for us, it's that he also rose. And so the resurrection is a part of our gospel uh, message. Then Paul goes on to give proof of the resurrection. Eyewitnesses who saw Jesus after he was raised, verse 5. He appeared to Cephas, which is Peter, uh, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Okay, so Paul is saying all of these different people were eyewitnesses. They saw Jesus after his resurrection. And of these 500 that, that Jesus appeared to, Paul says at the time that he's writing 1 Corinthians, most of them are still alive. You can go talk to them. You can verify what I'm telling you about the resurrection. Uh, then verse, let's see, I just lost my place here. Where am I? Uh, verse 7, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Okay, so Paul is saying, you know, the Damascus Road, uh, Paul sees the resurrected Christ. And so he says, even me, even, even though I was 
not there for all of those events. You know, years after the fact, Jesus appeared to me, and so I can even testify that he's been resurrected. Verse 9, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. And he reminds us there that Paul, prior to his conversion, was attacking Christians, was taking them to prison. Okay, what would cause somebody like that to suddenly become a preacher of the gospel and a, you know, a follower of Jesus? Well, his answer is, I saw him. And so we should believe the testimony of Paul, not only because he's telling us that he's on, but the testimony of his life, uh, a totally transformed direction in his life that could only be explained if he saw the resurrected Christ. Uh, verse 12, now if Christ, uh, by the way, before I move on, um, that really could be true of all of the disciples, right? We see after the death of Jesus, the 12 apostles are hiding for fear of the Jews. Uh, you know, on the road to Emmaus, they're talking to each other, wondering what just happened. They're totally discouraged and dismayed. And, uh, you know, they thought that Jesus was the Messiah, but now he's dead. And then something happens. And all of a sudden, they're, they're preaching publicly. They're willing to die for Jesus. What was that switch that went off? Well, the only answer is the resurrection. What would cause Peter to go from denying Jesus right at the end of the Gospels to preaching and going to prison for Jesus? What caused that shift in his boldness? Uh, well, he saw the resurrected Christ. And so uh, all of the apostles' testimonies of the fact that they were willing to die uh, for the resurrection, uh, would they die for something that they knew was untrue? This is C.S. Lewis's famous argument, right? Why would they die for something they knew was a lie? Uh, all of the apostles that gave their life, if, if they really knew... Uh, well, Jesus didn't really rise from the dead. We just made that up. Would they be willing to lay down their lives? All you know, eleven of the the disciples that remained, uh, be willing to be persecuted uh, for something that they knew was untrue. And so, the testimony of Paul, the testimony of all the disciples, uh, to the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, it's not just a claim they made. They were willing to lay their life down for it. Uh, picking up in verse twelve, now if Christ was proclaimed as raised from the dead. How can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? So there were some in Corinth who were claiming, uh, like the Sadducees, right, that the resurrection from the dead is not real. When you're dead, you're dead. Uh, verse 13, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is vain. So Christianity is empty. It is vanity if Jesus did not rise Again, the resurrection of Christ is the foundation of everything that we believe. Verse 15, <clears throat> we are even found to be misrepresenting God because, and again, he's saying, if it's true that Jesus did not rise again, we are misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. So if Jesus wasn't raised, he says, you are not truly saved. He had to die for your sin debt to be paid, but he had to rise to give you new life. Uh, this is what we call the doctrine of union with Christ, that when Jesus died on the cross, we died with him. But when Jesus rose again, we rose with him too. That's the, the argument of Romans 6, that <clears throat> we, you know, we're buried with him by baptism into death, and like as he was raised up from the dead, uh, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. And so the death and the resurrection is the grounds for our salvation from sins and our resurrection to new life in Christ. Verse 18, then those also <clears throat> who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Again, if Jesus didn't die, if Jesus didn't raise, rise again, then all of those 
Christians who have passed away are simply dead. Verse 19, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. And this is what uh, Malachi had mentioned to us. The first fruits, right? That Jesus, the, the first fruits um, in farming jargon was the, the first bit of your crop that came in. And so you could look at the, the first bit of crop and see the quality of it and kind of know, is my, is my crop going to be good this year? If there's disease in it, well, obviously the whole crop is going to be diseased. And so it, the first fruits was sort of the um, indicator of what was to come as a farmer. And so in the same way, Jesus' resurrection from the dead, he's the first fruits, but there's a harvest coming later, and that's all of us. So his resurrection is the indicator of what's going to follow, which is all of us. He goes on to explain this in verse 21. For as by a man, Adam, came death, by a man, Jesus, has come also the resurrection of the dead. As in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. So just like Adam's sin was passed down and we reap the negative consequences of his sin, even so, Christ's resurrection, we, we can reap the benefits of that. And so at his coming, all of us who are in Christ will be raised like he was. Verse 32, what do I gain? Uh, sorry, jumping down to 32. 1 Corinthians 15, 32. What do I gain if, uh, what do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus, if the dead are not raised? Uh, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. I'm not going to get into the first half of that verse. But uh, the argument he's making there is, if there's no resurrection, if this life is all there is, if we die and we're dead and, and we're not going to be raised at his coming, eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Uh, in other words, life becomes really pointless. It's just about here and now, just enjoy it, and, and uh, there's no purpose in life if there's no life after this. But the resurrection gives us purpose. Verse 35, someone will ask, how are the dead raised? Uh, with what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. What you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, uh, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same. There is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. Uh, there is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for stars differ from star in glory. What, basically what he's saying there is, uh, our resurrected bodies are going to be better than what we experience now. Uh, when he talks about something dying before it rises, before it, I'm sorry, verse, uh, was that, 36? Uh, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. Uh, he's talking about seeds. When you, when you plant seeds, right, they, they go in the ground, they die, they decay, they rot, and then they spring up as a plant. And so he's saying, <clears throat> you know, the plant is so much different and better than a little kernel or seed, in the same way, uh, the bodies that we have now are going to be transformed at our resurrection. We're not going to be um, broken and weak like we are now. We're going to be much far superior, in other words. Our resurrected bodies will be far superior to what we have now. Verse 42, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. 
It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. He's contrasting our uh, fallen bodies that we experience now uh, versus what, what will be raised, our, our resurrected bodies that will be glorified, uh, powerful, imperishable, will never die. Verse 44, it is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, and the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. Uh, the first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we also shall bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. Uh, verse 50 there, he's, he's just saying that, that we cannot enter heaven in our, in our fallen, perishable bodies. We have to be given this resurrected body. Verse 51, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, this mortal body must put on immortality. When this perishable body puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so because of the resurrection, we no longer have to fear death. Death is simply a doorway into our new life, which is going to be better than what we experience now. And so uh, the sting of death has been removed by the resurrection. And then notice verse 58. And this, this really struck me a couple of years ago, and I kind of noticed it for the first time. Uh, this is a well-known verse, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that uh, in, in the Lord your labor is not in vain. I've heard that verse many times throughout my life and never realized the context. Uh, notice the first word, therefore. Okay, so because of everything Paul just said, now he's saying this. So, so we ought to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, uh, knowing that our, our labor in the Lord is not in vain because of the resurrection, because of the fact that we have life after death. That's the foundation for all of that. Uh, we know that our, our work and service for Christ is not in vain because there is life after death. If there wasn't life after death, it would be all vain. Right? Well, what's the point of studying the Bible, of preaching the gospel, of, of serving God, if there's no life after death and you just die and it was all, it was all a lie? Uh, well, then it, it, you just wasted all of your time. But Paul's saying we know that's not true. We know that we will be rewarded, uh, that there is eternal benefit to serving Christ now, because of his resurrection from the dead and our future resurrection. So anyways, it, it's always amazing to me when I find verses like that, uh, that I'm so familiar with, but I'm not familiar with the context. And the context just, it opens it up so much uh, to realize we serve God and we live for God because of his resurrection from the dead. That is the foundation for our service. Got a few minutes here for questions, and then I'll, uh, I got a book recommendation after that. But any questions? or comments, or cries of outrage at anything I said. <clears throat>
I'm going to get a drink. Hold on one second. Oh, okay. You had a question and forgot it? Okay. Yeah. Right. Uh-huh. Right, right. Right, yep. Anytime you see a therefore, a wherefore, a for, a so that, those type of connecting words, we tend to gloss over them quickly. <clears throat> uh, but it's saying, based upon what I just said here, now this. And so always read those verses before. So yes. Malachi, you look like you, you remembered something. Yes. Mm -hmm. Right. I do think there is something unique about Jesus. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. No, I do believe angels took on human form at times. I think of Lot, right? The angels uh, that went to Nineveh, or Sodom, sorry. Um, and I don't want to be graphic, but obviously they were physical beings because of what the men of the city wanted to do, right? So they, they had to be taking on some sort of human form. Um, so yes. Now, with Jesus, I think we have... Um, uh, how should I say this? Kind of the, the best picture of what our resurrected bodies are going to be like is when we look at Jesus. Uh, he's really the only one that we have to look at as far as somebody that's been dead and, and risen again in this glorified state. Um, and in some ways, his body's different, right? We see him entering a room that's locked in Luke 24. He just stands in the midst of them. So that's kind of cool. Uh, but then you also see him eating fish. So there's some sort of physical element there. And so it is... 
you know, I, I don't think we have too many details about our future, but I do believe uh, eating is a part of our, our life forever, right? There's fruit trees in heaven. There's, you know, we're going to be feasting the marriage supper of the Lamb. Uh, we're going to be eating and having some sort of physical existence, uh, even in heaven and then in the new earth. Yes. Do you have any example of Jesus sleeping after the resurrection? Nothing's coming to mind. I don't believe there is. Malachi, can you think of any? We also, we've got to be careful though, because it's a bit of an argument from silence, because there's not a whole lot of information about that time period. Yeah. Um, that's an interesting thought, though. I, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure. I'm not sure about that specific thing. But, um, you know, he was in a spirit. We tend to think of going to heaven like, you know, we're going to be in some disembodied state on a cloud playing a harp or something. And that's just so far from the image of, of the resurrected Jesus, who is physical, flesh and blood. He says to Thomas, touch my hands. You know, a spirit doesn't have flesh like I do. Uh, he eats fish. So, so there is a physical element that's very real there. Uh, you can also think John 21 is another example where Jesus cooks some fish uh, for Peter on the seashore. We didn't read that today. Uh, but anyway, there is a physical element to our resurrected bodies for sure. Now, how far that goes, again, he seems to have the ability to enter a room locked without going through the doorway, so I don't know what that means. Um, but all I can say is what Paul says, that, that our resurrected bodies will be different. They'll be better. There's a glory of our resurrected bodies that is different than what we experience now. Uh, we experience weakness, and, uh, and, and you know we're perishable, we're mortal now, and then we'll be immortal, imperishable, uh, powerful in some sense. So... Beyond that, I can't give too many details. A uh, quick book recommendation. Uh, I do not <laughs> recommend all of his books, okay? Have you ever heard of N.T. Wright? Anybody? Okay. Um, he is one of the best-known New Testament scholars alive today, hands down. He's a brilliant guy. Uh, he's written some stuff that is very good and some stuff that is very confusing at best and borderline dangerous on some subjects. So I cannot recommend uh, most of his, I shouldn't say most, some of his books, but his book on the resurrection is the best you're going to find. The Resurrection of the Son of God, it's 800 pages. Uh, It is the most thorough defense historically and otherwise of the resurrection of Jesus. So um, he just lays out all the evidence of here's why reasonable, intelligent people should believe that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. It is a very thorough book. It's called The Resurrection of the Son of God uh, by N.T. Wright, probably one of his most famous uh, books that he's written. It's very good. I do recommend it. I haven't actually read all 800 pages. I've read quite a bit of it, though, and it's, uh, it is excellent, and it's kind of the standard when it comes to resurrection uh, defense historically and, and so forth. So if you, if you really want to dig deep on this, uh, that's a good resource. If you want a smaller one, Greg Gobert's book gets into the resurrection some. Uh, actually, both of those back there. Who is Jesus? And then, why trust the Bible? Why trust the Bible builds an argument for the um, 
truth of Scripture based upon the resurrection. So kind of the first third of the book, he lays the evidence for the resurrection, and then he says, and because of the resurrection, we can believe what Jesus said. Right? That validates his claims as a prophet. And what he said was, the Old Testament is true, and he gave authority to the apostles to write the New Testament. Therefore, we believe the Bible right, because of the resurrection. So he kind of builds an interesting argument there. Uh, you can read that as well. That's there on the back table.